Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. For copyright and disclaimers, as well as information about how to contact the iCritical Care staff, please listen to the notice at the end of this podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Joining us today is Letitia Castillo, MD, FCCM, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Dr. Castillo is the lead author on the Pediatric Critical Care Medicine article in discussion today, Secondary Hemophagocytic Lymphohistiocytosis and Severe Sepsis, Systemic Inflammatory Response Syndrome, Multi-Organ Dysfunction Syndrome, Macrophage Activation Syndrome, Share Common Intermediate Phenotypes on a Spectrum of Inflammation. The article citation is Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, 2009, Volume 10, pages 387 to 392. Good afternoon, Dr. Castillo. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Dr. Parker. Would you please start off uh, by giving us some background information on hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, or HLH, and secondary HLH, and why you wrote this paper? Uh, Definitely. Hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, or commonly known HLH, is a very well-defined and rare, I should say, condition um, that traditionally has been uh, understood to take place in younger children, and it would run in families and had a strong genetic component. HLH can be due to genetic alterations of three well-defined genes, and usually runs on families, and particularly one uh, of the types can be with a geographic-specific uh, location. However, in the early 90s, a society was formed to diagnose HLH and to establish some criteria diagnosis. And the International HLH Society came to be formed. They decided that a series of diagnostic criteria had to be met because there was a widespread criteria to make diagnosis of HLH. In some occasions, it would, it would be considered that children that had fever, that had a big liver and spleen, that had thrombocytopenia, anemia, neutropenia, could meet this diagnosis. But doing the genetic testing was uh, not always available, so uh, some clinical criteria had to be developed in order to achieve the diagnosis. This criteria had evolved until the latest uh, meeting from the International Histiocyte Society in 2007, uh, where uh, the differentiation between familial HLH and secondary HLH uh, was uh, completely erased. Secondary HLH uh, was a condition in which All the characteristics or many of the characteristics of HLH were present, however, the genetic component was not present. And the characteristic diagnosis of HLH or secondary HLH uh, required only five of seven uh, diagnostic criteria. And those diagnostic criteria are commonly present in many other conditions. So in response to, to your questions, HLH is a very well-defined, often fatal condition that requires uh, intensive treatment with chemotherapy and bone marrow transplant. 
secondary HLH is a condition that has been described in patients that present five of the eight uh, diagnostic criteria and has been associated with viral, bacterial, fungal, infections and inflammatory processes. And basically, if you review the literature, you can uh, appreciate that it has been associated with influenza, with EB virus, with tuberculosis, with gram-positive uh, sepsis, with gram-negative sepsis, uh, with uh, coccidiomycosis, uh, with uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, with Kawasaki disease, with lupus. So uh, in reality, is a very widespread association between all these inflammatory processes and the diagnosis of secondary HLH. What are the diagnostic criteria for HLH? The diagnostic criteria for HLH are uh, the molecular diagnosis uh, should be present for the diagnosis of familiar HLH. But the molecular diagnosis usually takes time to achieve so if there are five of the following eight criteria, then the diagnosis of HLH is established. And these criteria are fever, splenomegaly. Fever practically is presented in all patients. Splenomegaly is not present in all, in all patients, but visceromegaly is frequently seen in children that have sepsis, sears, moths, and in patients that have macrophage activation syndrome. And in our critically ill pediatric patients that are ventilated, mechanically ventilated, and that receive high mean airway pressures, it's not unusual to have a inflated lungs and the diaphragm being pushed down, and you can feel some liver edge. So if the diagnosis of HLH is going to be done based on visceromegaly, it should be objectively measured by ultrasound, not just by physical exam and palpating the, the, the liver or spleen, because this can be displaced in a, a critically ill, mechanically ventilated patient that is requiring higher settings. The other diagnosis, the other criteria diagnosis is cytopenia of a two of three lines. And in our critically ill septic patients with sepsis, sears, moths, or in patients that have macrophage activation syndrome, we can, uh, they can present uh, neutropenia, and they can present anemia. Uh, they can present thrombocytopenia. Now, I have to say that the patients with sepsis, sears, and moths frequently present anemia and thrombocytopenia, and that would meet the criteria. So anemia and thrombocytopenia would meet the criteria of cytopenia of two lines. Uh, seldom or in more rare occasions they can present neutropenia, but they don't need to have neutropenia to make the diagnosis. If they have anemia, which is very common, and thrombocytopenia, which is very common, they will meet the diagnostic criteria. The other criteria that frequently is taken into account is hypertriglyceridemia, and that's defined as fasting triglycerides uh, less than uh, 265, depending on the age. And, uh, and or hyperfibrinogenemia. And patients, again, patients with sepsis, sears, and moths present high triglycerides. And the reason of patients presenting hypertriglyceridemia is multifactorial. In one hand, there is a cytokine release and inhibition of lipoprotein lipase. So there is going to be less uh, uh, lipolysis and in the other hand, there is going to be abnormalities in 
at the mitochondrial level in the metabolism of fatty acids, uh, there will be less secretion of BLDL, and the liver won't be able to uh, metabolize fat efficiently. Therefore, there is going to be increase in circulating triglycerides. So high triglycerides is commonly seen in inflammatory response. And that can be seen in sepsis, serious moths, and can be seen also in macrophage activation syndrome. And hyperfibrinogenemia um, is also frequently seen as an acute phase reactant. Fibrinogen is an acute phase reactant. And before there is consumption coagulopathy, fibrinogen is going to be increased in patients with inflammatory response of any etiology. Another diagnosis that uh, is used, another diagnostic criteria that is used to make the diagnosis of HLH is a hemophagocytosis. And this is a very common uh, criteria that is widely used. And hemophagocytosis can be in peripheral blood or can be found in bone marrow or spleen or lymph nodes or on CSF. But uh, hemophagocytosis is seen frequently in patients that receive blood transfusions. And our patients now less than before, but they still receive some blood transfusions, and also is a, it's an inflammatory response. Hemophagocytosis has been described in patients uh, that die of sepsis uh, in the autopsy, in contrast to patients that, had, that die of a gunshot injury or from a heart attack. So hemophagocytosis is really a very unspecific a criteria, and yet is an important criteria that is being used for the diagnosis of HLH. The other diagnosis, the other diagnostic criteria that is commonly uh, looked for and used for the diagnosis of HLH is ferritin. Ferritin greater than 500 micrograms per liter, per liter is considered a diagnostic criteria. And again, hemophagocytosis and ferritin go hand in hand, and ferritin is going to be seen in multiple inflammatory responses. And uh, ferritin is going to be increased due to upregulation of heme oxygenase. And heme oxygenase will produce CO2 and, and biliverdin. And these are mechanisms that uh, help cells to cope with inflammatory response, are protective mechanisms. Therefore, the diagnosis, basing the diagnosis of HLH on ferritin is highly specific because it's going to be present in many other conditions. So those are the most frequent uh, criteria that are used for HLH. And then there are other criteria that are based on some laboratory testing, and this is low or absent NK, NK natural, natural killer cell activity, and soluble CD25, uh, which is a IL-2 receptor that is increased. Uh, but these criteria actually are also found in sepsis, serious moths, and in macrophage activation syndrome. So uh, these criteria have been used to establish the diagnosis of neonatal sepsis, for instance. They have been used to establish a rejection after transplant. So as you can see, all the diagnosis, all of the eight diagnostic criteria for HLH, with the exception of the molecular diagnosis, are present in sepsis, sears, and moths, and are present in macrophage activation syndrome. So it's very difficult to establish the diagnosis of HLH 
based on the diagnostic criteria according to the International Society guidelines. So given this tremendous overlap in the clinical features of secondary HLH and sepsis, SIRS, uh, and um, macrophage activation syndrome, how can we tell the difference? How can we determine whether the patient has uh, secondary HLH or is septic? In reality, you can't. In reality, you cannot make that diagnosis. In general, we could expect that the patient that has sepsis and has a, a positive blood culture and you treat the infection, the documented infection, and if the patient continues to present some signs of inflammation in the absence of documented infection, it could be considered that the patient has a severe inflammatory response. But if you don't have a molecular diagnosis, secondary HLH is undifferentiated from sepsis, sears, moths, and from macrophage activation syndrome. Now, in macrophage activation syndrome, it has been more associated with uh, autoimmune processes, with uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and Kawasaki disease. Uh, and these patients have received some limited immune suppression and steroids, and they had not received a prolonged chemotherapy treatment uh, as it is recommended for HLH or bone marrow transplant as it is recommended for HLH. And these patients actually do well, patients with macrophage activation syndrome that are treated with a short course of steroids and limited uh, immune suppression, uh, they have a good prognosis. Patients with sepsis, sears, and moths that have a persistent severe inflammatory response have been, in occasion, treated with ECMO, uh, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, or with plasma exchange. Although plasma exchange is not a standard of care for uh, management of sepsis, it has been used and has been reported. And those patients, actually, uh, some of those patients have had good clinical course. And what is interesting is that in some patients that met criteria for HLH that had been treated with immune globulin or with plasma exchange without immune suppression, without the prolonged chemotherapy, they have actually had good clinical course. So this opens the question if the uh, severe management that is needed for familial HLH should be applied to this entity that is called secondary HLH, given that there are there is evidence in the literature that plasma exchange and immune globulin uh, has some beneficial results for patients with the diagnosis of familia, of sorry of secondary HLH. So, if it's so difficult, and in fact we can't tell the difference between sepsis um, and the sepsis syndromes and secondary HLH, why is it important to determine um, the difference? Is there a difference in prognosis? Is there a difference in management? You kind of implied some treatment modalities for HLH, but how do we clinically apply the um, information you've given us in um, determining why is it important to uh, diagnose secondary HLH? Well, the importance of the diagnosis uh, 
relies is critical and relies on the prognosis and the treatment. Patients that are diagnosed with secondary HLH receive a chemotherapy, a prolonged course of chemotherapy, including intrathecal metrotexate. And these patients will develop uh, neutropenia, and many times they will develop fever and neutropenia. When the patient presents fever and neutropenia, and again, inflammatory response, is considered that the patient has a relapse. And if the patient that has secondary HLH and is being treated with chemotherapy and immune suppression and presents a relapse as defined by having a hypotension, fever, again, thrombocytopenia, anemia, which is being actually in, in part induced by the treatment. But if the patient is hemodynamically unstable, is sick, has severe inflammatory response, is considered that this patient is relapsing and will need a bone marrow transplant. And my impression is that many of the patients that are considered secondary HLH in in another, in some institutions that are less uh, sensitive to the diagnosis of HLH are treated as sepsis, there's MOS, and the patients have a better uh, clinical course and a better outcome. The mortality of HLH is high. Patients with HLH have a mortality of about 60% in, in three years after the diagnosis. And uh, patients that have bone marrow transplant uh, have uh, all the complications of bone marrow transplant. Uh, however, the patients that are treated with HLH, secondary HLH with exchange, plasma exchange and immunoglobulin have reported to be to have a better clinical course. Sepsis, pediatric sepsis has a very low mortality. Uh, it's about 2-3%. Uh, pediatrics that have multi-organ dysfunction syndrome have a higher mortality rate, maybe between 15 to 20%, depending on what series you read. But at any rate, the, the outcome of the patients with severe sepsis, sears, and moths does not compare, that are treated conventionally, does not compare with the outcome of patients with diagnosis of secondary HLH. So the, the importance of being aware that making the diagnosis of secondary HLH is going to commit that patient to a prolonged course of chemotherapy and to the risk of bone marrow transplant. While ED diagnosis is made of severe sepsis, series of moths, those patients might require a plasma exchange if the patient is deteriorating maybe a short course of steroids if there is a severe inflammatory response, uh, or immune globulin. This is not a standard of care, and there are not uh, randomized controlled trials, unfortunately, to determine one treatment, the efficacy of one treatment over the other. But the point of this discussion is that the treatment and outcome are going to be completely different if the patient receives the diagnosis of secondary HLH or if the patient receives the diagnosis of severe sepsis, sears, and moths, or mass. And uh, the survival rates and the complications are going to be completely different. And all depends on the diagnosis that the patient will receive. So it's very important that clinicians be aware of the diagnosis of secondary HLH 
and the distinction between that and sepsis, severe inflammatory response syndrome, uh, because the outcomes and the management are so different, um, yet there's a lot of clinical overlap. So this is a very difficult uh, distinction for the clinician to make. Yes, absolutely. And it's very likely that there is a continuum of inflammation. Um, nothing is completely white or completely black. And most most uh, things are in a, in a continuum of gray. And it's very likely that those patients that are diagnosed with secondary HLH have the ability to develop a more severe inflammatory response. And it's likely that the patients that have secondary HLH might have some genetic abnormalities in performing granzyme, uh, which are uh, setting proteases that affect uh, immunity. Uh, and they have been described in septic processes, but they are also have been described uh, in familial HLH. So if there is complete a complete genetic abnormality with, uh, in the perforin gene, that patient has familiar HLH. But if the perforin protein has a partial activity, maybe 50% or 30%, those patients can be normal for many years. And when they are exposed to a stimuli like an infection, they can develop a severe inflammatory response. I think those patients need to be supported. Those patients don't need to be committed to chemotherapy and bone marrow transplant like the patient that has complete, that is lacking complete activity of performing. Um, however, this would require further studies uh, on, on functional activity of proteins that are related to, to inflammatory response and I hope that in the future we can actually make the diagnosis based on a functional criteria rather than a syndromatic or a, the symptoms that the, in the laboratory changes that the patient presents. I think those are interesting and important points. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make today? Yes, I would like um, to warn uh, my colleagues in the pediatric clinical care uh, area uh, about being alert and keep an open mind uh, in regard to the difficulties in making the differential diagnosis between secondary HLH and sepsis sismos and mass. Thank you very much, Leticia, for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's my pleasure. We have been speaking today with Dr. Leticia Castillo from Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, about the article, Secondary Hemophagocytic Lymphohistiocytosis and Severe Sepsis, Systemic Inflammatory Response Syndrome, Multi-Organ Dysfunction Syndrome, Macrophage Activation Syndrome, Share Common Intermediate Phenotypes on a Spectrum of Inflammation, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in May 2009. This concludes our podcast. A new email subscription service will let you know when new podcasts have been posted to the SCCM website. Visit www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCriticalCare podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. The Paragon Critical Care Quality Implementation Program offers hospitals an unparalleled opportunity to benefit from the experiences of peer leaders dedicated to critical care performance improvement.
Through the use of engaging tools provided by SCCM and others, Paragon utilizes a combination of self-assessment, teleconferences, site visits, peer collaboration, consulting, and coaching to help hospitals develop high-functioning critical care teams. Hospitals interested in becoming a Paragon participant to positively transform their critical care units should contact Lori Harmon, RRT, MBA, Paragon Critical Care Manager, at 1-847-493-6403 or via email at lharmon at sccm.org. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, guest podcast editor for pediatrics. Dr. Parker is director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University in Stony Brook, New York. She also is a professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University Medical Center. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.